Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Brief theology on self-worth. Guys, I found my Apple Pencil again this week. So, man, it's just so much fun scribbling, um, scribbling on your slides. Uh, our theology shapes how we live and move in this world. Um, so what we believe about, uh, about God, about his, uh, his character, uh, about his nature, about uh, what he thinks about us. Um, this ultimately grants us uh, different permissions and different opportunities and invitations to uh, participate in the world in a particular manner. Um, but also our theology, depending on what it is, can create significant hurdles for us. Um, and one of the hurdles that I've seen over the last 10 years is a uh, real struggle to uh, let the love of God be something that uh, shapes and defines us in a really meaningful way. Uh, I think cognitively we all grasp and are drawn towards the concept that God loves us, right? John three sixteen, you know, for God so loved the world. It's like, oh, we, we kind of get that um, at a cognitive level. Um, but for a lot of people, there's a real struggle to uh, let that take a deep root in our heart. Even the word belief uh, is, is sort of tied to this idea of being anchored, of something anchoring in the depths of us. And so the belief that God loves us, actually for a lot of people, is something we struggle to let take a deep anchor inside of us. Um, and so this creates uh, a very real hurdle for a lot of people. Um, for me, I think that one of the significant causes of this is that uh, our theological identity uh, gets hung up on something that happens quite early in the Bible. Um, in the story of Genesis, we see this thing uh, called the fall. So Adam and Eve sin, and they fall. Uh, they sort of fall out of relationship with God. And then this becomes uh, the lens through which we all view ourselves. Um, and this has kind of taken uh, a very heavy root uh, uh, in the church over particularly, I think, the last 500 years. So it's a huge part of sort of Protestant uh, or Calvinist uh, theology is this idea that we are um, sort of very broken, very dirty, very unworthy, and we kind of cling to that. And so even though uh, we kind of get this idea that God loves us, um, we, we actually view that story or that narrative through this lens uh, of the fall. And often what happens when we, when we view it through that lens is we miss what happens in the first two chapters of Genesis, which is that we were created in the image of God, that we are the imago Dei, that, that God takes great delight in creating humanity and commissioning humanity and inviting humanity to live and move in a particular way. Now, let me just start with like a little bit of a, um, just a little bit of a warning. That doesn't mean that we uh, don't have real authentic, vulnerable conversations around um, brokenness or hurt uh, or grief or sin. Those are important things to be engaged in conversation about. But we do need to have a very real conversation about 
God's love for us and how that shapes and informs what we do in our life. And so tonight I want to explore a very brief theology about self-worth. Um, a few things I want to do. I want to invite you um, to uh, open up your Bible to Colossians digitally or whatever. We're going to, look, we're going to work with Colossians a little bit. Um, then I'm gonna, I want to share a framework that I've, I've sort of had bouncing around in my head for a few years, um, and it's something I've come to a few times. I don't think I've ever spoken about it in church, but it's, it's just a, a little framework I'd love to present to you. Uh, and then I'm, I'm just going to finish off uh, with reading some stuff from a Henry Nouwen book. So it should, should hopefully give us a brief theology on self-worth. So why don't we pray, and then we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, God, we just ask that your spirit would draw near to each one of us. Come, Holy Spirit, surround us with your love. Hold us in your love. Grant us peace and comfort in your, in your embrace. And Lord, in this moment, would you reveal to us new things about your character, about your deep love for us, about the way that you view us, and Lord, would you help those things take root in our hearts? Amen. Uh, Colossians is uh, one of my favorite uh, pieces of Scripture. It's a, it's a part of the New Testament uh, that I've kind of gone to many times over the years. Um, and there's a few things uh, I really like about it. Um, the, the first is that I think in the first chapter of Colossians, um, I think Paul does a, a really phenomenal job of, of painting uh, a picture uh, of Jesus and, and what Jesus is in this grand narrative. I think um, it's wonderfully and beautifully reverent, so it's, it's really glorifying and edifying. There's a, there's a real earnest attempt by Paul, I think, to capture the sort of bigness and the transcendence of God um, in, in Jesus. But I also think in that, in that first chapter, in those opening verses, there's a, a real attempt as well to capture the closeness and the, the intimacy of Christ as well. So the sort of bigness and the closeness as well. And so I, I, for me, I think it's um, some of the most profound theological statements about Christ are made in that opening chapter of Colossians. And so I think um, it's incredibly important in that regard. Um, but actually, the whole letter of Colossians, I think, uh, is to move the reader towards an understanding of their identity in Christ. So there's this first chapter that sort of frames who Jesus is in, in God's grand narrative, in this big story. And then as you move into the second chapter, you begin to sort of see um, how redemption, how a framework of redemption begins to play into the human story. Um, and it, it's really beautiful. Um, and then finally, as you, uh, uh, well, not finally, but, but as you move into chapter three, uh, there, is, there is this sort of invitation towards anchoring our identity in the person of Christ. So this sort of feels to me like there's this very deliberate movement. Now, often what happens when we go to the scriptures is because we kind of look at it in little chunks, it's very easy to see what Paul is doing as being down, uh, as being sort of broken down uh, lists of what we should do or what is bad in our life or, or, what, or what is good or what it looks like to, to be a good Christian. But actually, I think that there's, there's a more of a coherence, a real connectedness to what he's doing with his writing. And so, um, and, and so I really would love to encourage you guys this week, 
thinking about this, this whole area of, of self-worth, of the love of God, is to go back to this. Spend a little bit of time in Colossians this week and, and, and just look for that sort of trajectory that happens through those first three chapters. Um, in particular, I want to draw you to uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, where it says this. Uh, Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Subtle things can be missed. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, I've just carried straight on there. <laughs> I love when you're when you're when you're um when tech doesn't work out quite like you want to. Um, uh, so everything binds together in perfect harmony. Um, <clears throat> when we read it like that, you can you can actually miss some really really subtle little things. Um, in particular, the opening line of 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 that verse twelve. When you just read that off the bat, what you begin to see is a is a list of the Christian life in action, of community in action, of our sort of orientation towards the other. It is an external action, right? But that opening line is really important. You know, put on then, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Though that's actually, this is who you are. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and beloved. With those things in mind, then you put on these other things, right? You don't put on holy and beloved. You are holy and beloved, in your identity in Christ. And from that, this, these are the things you begin to put on and live in and embody in your life. Now, that's a very easy and simple thing to miss when you're just working your way through the Scripture. There is this, this acknowledgement that in Christ, through Christ, we are viewed by God in a very particular way. There is this sense that uh, from that place, out of that place, springs the life oriented towards the other, the, the life anchored in community, the life that sort of wears love and embodies compassion and, and lives graciously and forgivingly towards everyone around them. But it starts from that place of knowing that you are God's chosen, that you are God's beloved. This, I think, is what self-worth is all about, or at least it's for me what I'm talking about when I'm talking about self-worth. Now, um, sometimes with definitions in this, in, in this case, it kind of comes down to semantics a little bit. And so what I want to do is I want to propose uh, a little bit of a framework. Uh, I want to share with you something that I've, I've worked on uh, over the last few years or just sort of had bouncing around my head for a really long time. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what self-worth is and how it begins to play into other areas of our lives. Um, so the first thing is that self-worth is uh, what, I, what I would define it as, is what we believe about how God sees us. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about self-worth. Where do I find my worth? Uh, if it's going to come from God, I need to, to have some sort of understanding or some sort of concept about how He views me. And that becomes, I think, when we look at, look at Colossians or when we look at the Scriptures, it's an important to have a grasp at some level of this in order that we might be able to, to live and move uh, towards some of the other things we are invited to in the Scriptures. 
But I also think that this plays into some other areas in life. So I can't just talk about self-worth. I also want to talk a little bit about self-esteem. Once again, these are semantics a little bit, but you know, just work with me here a little bit so you can sort of see where I'm coming from. Self-esteem, uh, I would kind of define that in the space as what we believe about ourselves, all right? Um, this for me, I think, is a, is a sort of tier of our human experience that is probably more noisy than anything else. This, I think, in this sort of realm is where uh, we experience a lot of our insecurities, our fears, our doubts. It's where we uh, project a lot of the other things that are coming sort of through the world or from the world towards us. So certainly uh, about our image, about how good we are at our jobs or whether we're talented or whether we're worthwhile or whether we're lovable. I think that plays into our self-esteem. It's very heavily influenced often by the sort of things we say to ourselves and the things we sort of receive, either explicitly or implicitly from the world around us. That's what I'm talking about uh, uh, when it comes to self-esteem. And then there's this third tier as well. There's this tier of uh, self-confidence. And this is what I would say is is what we believe we can do. Um, And so this is just our ability to be able to to get up and do something. Um, And I would probably capture it as something like this. If I was going to put them out like this, uh, I would say self-worth, you know, what we believe about how God sees us, self-esteem, what we believe about ourselves, self-confidence, what we believe we can do. Um, I think often what happens is we make an attempt to speak to our self-worth starting through self-confidence. So we kind of have this reverse thing where we go, if I, if I do things in a particular way or if I do specific things, that will hopefully make me feel better about myself. Then maybe I'll believe that I am, that I am actually worthy of love or deserve love or, or that you know, I am the things that uh, supposedly uh, the scriptures say I am. And then somehow that will reinforce our sense of self-worth. Suddenly we become deserving of God's love. I think that is the attempt that's made by a lot of people sort of internally to connect with the loving nature of God. Does that make sense? I think this is, this is something I've seen a lot over the last 10 years, and it's, it's, it's been a struggle to articulate. And so I know, once again, those three things, probably semantics a little bit, but it's been helpful for me to put it in boxes. Um, and, and actually, I think it's not just limited to that movement. I think sometimes it can actually look a little bit like this, Right? So I think often, often it's really possible to experience different things without there being any kind of, any kind of flow that happens. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, I can really confidently get up and play the drums, right? I can, I can get up on a Sunday and I can play drums in church, pretty confident in my ability to do it. But my self-esteem, uh, what I believe about myself is that I'm actually a terrible musician. You know, and most of my job, I'm around musicians all day and I'm constantly in the back of my mind going, holy, like I cannot do at all what you can do. I'm not even a real musician. Like, you know, I just, I, I have this sort of consistent negative narrative. And I remember even for the, the longest time on my Instagram, you know, where you write a little bio about yourself, one of the things that was written up there about myself was like subpar musician. You know, so as someone who loves music, has played music for 15 years, one of the things I wrote about myself was subpar musician. So you see that? So there's a confidence for me. To, I can play instruments. I can play three different instruments. But the, the self-esteem, what I believe about myself is that, is that I, don't have, um, I don't actually have the talent. I don't actually have the skill. 
I also think it's possible to have uh, a pretty good uh, a pretty good sense of self-worth. I think it's possible uh, to have a sense of God's closeness. We can, feel, we can feel like loved by God. And maybe in some way that does inform our self-esteem. Maybe we do begin to believe some good things about ourselves, but we actually don't feel confident to go and engage in the world. We, there's still something that kind of stops us. Um, or maybe the, maybe the break is even in the middle of ourselves. Maybe we, have, maybe we have that sense of self-worth. Maybe we sort of know God's closeness a little bit. And maybe we do sort of feel really confident to go and do things over here. But actually, the narrative that still exists in the middle is that I'm still not a good person. I'm still not a talented person. I'm still not a deserving person. And that can be heavily, heavily influenced by the messages that we're receiving, not just from ourselves, but from the world around us. So this, I think, uh, has been a helpful paradigm to understand uh, how we think about ourselves uh, in relation to God. What I think is the goal, what I think is the invitation of scriptures, particularly as what we would see in Colossians, is for the movement to look something like this, is that it starts with how God sees us, and that that becomes the singular narrative that informs who we are, what we believe about ourselves, and then from that, we have the confidence to move and do, and be, and love, and participate, and serve, and all those kinds of things. So the the helpful way of thinking about self-worth is maybe thinking about the image of a spring, a spring that happens sort of deep within us. And out of that spring comes a sort of uh, a a deep-felt belief and assurance, and then a confidence to move in the things that we feel God invites us towards. This, I think, is something of a theology of self-worth. This is the kind of thing I think we're invited to when I, when I read Colossians and when I move through those first three chapters. This is the thing I think God is inviting us towards, that we would know that we are chosen, that we are viewed as holy, that we are viewed as beloved. Another way of of viewing this, I think, would be to consider or think about self-worth as the idea of being the beloved. This, I think, feeds into this idea of of being able to view ourselves or see ourselves the way that God sees us. Because this is what theology takes us towards. This is what the scriptures take us towards. Self-worth is this idea of being the beloved. There are a lot of scriptures that talk about Um, uh, us, in a way, being viewed through the lens of Christ. That's what Colossians is about. But even Jesus in his prayer in John 17, which we spent a lot of time as a church last year, sort of moving through that prayer, his desire, um, um, the deep longing of Jesus' heart is is for us to have the same connection, to have the same relationship uh, with God that he does. There is that sense that you too would know what it's like to be the beloved. And there's this, you know, there's this really beautiful picture in, in, uh, in Matthew 3.17 when Jesus, before his ministry kind of gets off the ground, uh, he goes to see his cousin John and he's baptized. And when he sort of comes out of the water, there's this, you know, it's this, this really profound description of like the sort of sky opening up and a dove descending. And, you know, it's like, I don't know, like there's maybe music coming out of nowhere. And, you know, it's this, 
It's this beautiful moment, but then you hear this, you know, uh, and behold, a voice from heaven said, said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. One of the things I love in uh, John's gospel is that every time uh, Jesus interacts with John, John refers to himself as the beloved, the beloved disciple. It's only referred to as the beloved disciple in the gospel that he wrote. Does anyone else think that's interesting? You know? John, the beloved disciple, he calls himself the beloved because that was the experience of being with Christ and growing um, under, the, under the teachings of Christ was to, to be experienced, uh, to, to experience being the beloved uh, by God. And that is the invitation for each and every one of us, that, that we are the beloved. And this would, this would sort of bring me to my second resource that I'd really encourage you guys to read, is that, is that Henry Nouwen wrote this phenomenal book called, um, you know, Life as the Beloved. And in it, he sort of talks about, you know, reading the scripture of Jesus' baptism and going, and, and literally having an experience of going, oh, that's not something that God would ever say to me. And then sort of him having this sort of Holy Spirit moment of, 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 you know, God saying, no, but this is what I say to you. And so this becomes an important thing for us to hear. That no matter how sort of, you know, no matter where our self-esteem is at or our self-confidence is at, no matter what we believe about ourselves, no matter what negative things exist, there is still this whisper and this, and this sort of, you know, like loving sentiment of God that says to each and every one of us, you are my beloved. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter with whom I am well pleased. You are my child with whom I am well pleased. How many times through the scriptures are we referred to as children of God? Chosen, holy, beloved are the words that Paul uses to describe the church. To describe those who would apprentice themselves to Christ. We are the beloved. I want to, as we move towards something of a close and we move towards the communion table, I want to read to you from Henry Nouwen's book because I think um, there's some powerful sentiments in this. And so uh, maybe you just want to close your eyes and just listen because it will probably take me you know, a minute or two to read through this. Um, but just listen to, the, listen to the process. Listen to that sort of internal movement and just look for yourself in it uh, as well. So this is what uh, Henry Nouwen says. <clears throat> that soft, gentle voice that calls me the beloved has come to me in countless ways. My parents, friends, teachers, students, and the many strangers who cross my paths have all sounded that voice in different tones. I have been cared for by many people with much tenderness and gentleness. I have been taught and instructed with much patience and perseverance. I have been encouraged to keep going when I was ready to give up and was stimulated to try again when I failed. I have been rewarded and praised for success. But somehow all of these signs of love were not sufficient to convince me that I was the beloved. Beneath all my seemingly strong self-confidence, there remained the question, if all those who shower me with so much attention could see and know me and my innermost self, would they still love me? 
That agonizing question, rooted in my inner shadow, kept persecuting me and made me run away from the very place where the quiet voice calling me the beloved could be heard. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Are you, like me, hoping that some person, something, or some event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope maybe this book or this idea or this course or this trip or this job or this country or this relationship will fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you'll go on running, helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. But we don't have to kill ourselves because we are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. When the deep reality that we are the beloved of Jesus sinks fully into our hearts, what follows is that it has to become visible and tangible in the way to eat and drink, talk and love, play and work. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes it's just better to read what someone else has said. It's just so much more beautiful than anything you can say. But, but I think Henry, Henry Nowen kind of catches some of that thing, right, where he talks about um, often we run away from the place where we can hear that quiet voice of God, that whisper that says, you are the beloved. And we're looking for the loud thing or the noisy thing that will somehow speak to us in some meaningful way that will feed our self-confidence, that will feed our self-esteem and maybe, just maybe, make us feel like we're worthy of God's love. But the importance and the invitation to know first that we are the beloved, that we are the Imago Dei, that we, we are the image bearers of God, that that is the first lens And that, yes, there are a lot of meaningful conversations to be had. There's a lot of growth. There's a lot of transformation that still takes place ongoing. This is the journey that we're on. But that the starting point for us is that we are the beloved of God. That is the invitation. That, I think, is a brief theology on self-worth. This, I think, then brings us to the communion table which is where we will land tonight. Um, And I want to finish just reading a few more words about Henry Nouwen, because for him, this idea of being the beloved moves him towards the communion table in a new way. Uh, It helps him think about communion in a different way. And this is what he has to say uh, uh, in regards to the act of communion and uh, in response to the idea of being the beloved. There are four primary words that I have used to identify the movements of the Spirit in our lives. These words are taken, blessed, broken, and given. These words summarize my life as a priest because each day when I come together around the table with members of my community, I take bread, I bless it, I break it, and I give it. These words also summarize my life as a Christian because as a Christian, I'm called to become bread for the world, Bread that is taken, blessed, 
broken, and given. Most importantly, however, they summarize my life as a human because of every moment in my life, somewhere, somehow, the taking, the blessing, the breaking, and the giving are happening. Only gradually has their meaning become known to me, and I feel that I won't ever know their full potential. They are the most personal as well as the most universal words. They express the most spiritual as well as the most secular truth. They speak about the most divine as well as the most human behavior. They reach high as well as low, embrace God as well as people. These four words help express the complexity of life and embrace its ever-unfolding mystery. They are the keys to understanding not only the lives of the great prophets of Israel and the life of Jesus of Nazareth, but also our own lives. I have chosen them not only because they are so deeply engraved in my being, but also because through them, I have become in touch with the ways of becoming the beloved. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.